This is a hook in case I don't satisfy your <laughs> needs out there. <laughs> and I'm so glad. Yeah, see, <laughs> I don't trust her. Uh, my name is Julie. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, and uh, so glad to be here. And I want to thank the committee for asking me uh, to speak tonight. Uh, I like to do Friday night. I like to do Friday night because uh, I get it over with. You know. <laughs> And, uh, and actually, I didn't know Beverly was sharing, and, and I love Beverly. I've known her a long time. Uh, and, but I liked Friday night because you have nothing to compare to when I speak. <laughs> and after uh, they, you hear the uh, other speakers, I don't want to hear from you, so don't worry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Unless it's all good. <clears throat> anyway, uh, what a wonderful share that Beverly gave us. A fantastic uh, story. That showed recovery. <clears throat> and uh, I mean, when I was asked to speak here, I was very pleased to speak here. Uh, um, one of my wonderful friends, Marianne Willeman, spoke here some years back. And my sponsor has spoken here, Virginia. And, uh, and my late great friend, uh, Sherry Reynolds, spoke here. So I feel very honored to be able to be up here and share my story with you and share the beautiful story and miracle of recovery of Alcoholics Anonymous, because that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to give you an idea of what I was like and what happened and what I'm like today. <clears throat> um, you know, I, I uh, didn't sleep well last night, and it wasn't because I was worried about talking. I was having cramps in my legs, and they would wake me up every two hours. But what worried me was that I was going to be too tired to talk. And so when I woke up in the morning, I, was, I felt kind of flat. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I didn't feel spiritual at all. <laughs> and, uh, and I was thinking, oh, my God, what am I going to say to them? <laughs> it works. Thank you very much, and I'll see you later. That was it. <clears throat> uh, um, before I, I got up here, you know, it's wonderful to look out here, and there was so many of you. It's just fabulous. Uh, the energy is just terrific, and I can tell by your faces that you're here to enjoy yourselves. You're here to smile, and you're here for recovery. But I have some friends over here in my Medford group. Are you over there? All right, all right. And uh, I've also made some new friends, and they said they were going to jump up and down and scream, but I, I don't see the Maple Valley. There they are. <clears throat> there they are. There they are. <clears throat> yes, I met them in, uh, I met them, uh, in the lobby. <laughs> <clears throat> and I told them, <clears throat> excuse me, that there was going to be a terrific speaker tonight, and they should be here. <clears throat> I just have a little problem with my lungs. <laughs> uh, I've been sober 40 years, so if I die by the podium, I'm happy. Okay. You know, I've accomplished what I wanted to do. <clears throat> so I'll, I'll try to get through that. But uh, anyway, I'm so grateful to be here and so grateful to share the story of AA. You know, I came in through Al-Anon <clears throat> 42 years ago. And I loved Al-Anon because you could still drink and go to the meetings. <laughs> <clears throat> and I found a group that didn't have a lot of recovery, and so I cried a lot, too. <laughs> and they'd go, oh, dear, that'll be okay. 
And then I went to a meeting where uh, I did all of that and they just looked at me. <laughs> it was hardcore Al-Anon. <laughs> they didn't give me a pat on the head. They just said, keep coming back, dear. And, uh, but one thing I didn't do when I came to Al-Anon uh, Al and I'd been in AA for a while was I did not share uh, my alcoholic story with them. And that was uh, extremely important at that time. So anyway, uh, so I had lived in Los Angeles for a number of years. Um, I, I'm, I'm starting almost at the end of my story, so this could be very short. <laughs> um, I, I guess I should start at the beginning. Uh, sounds good to me? Okay. <clears throat> if I could just remember it. So I started uh, my family. Uh, I come from a family of hard drinkers, heavy drinkers. Uh, they wouldn't call themselves alcoholics. They just uh, like to drink a lot. And uh, when I was five, my, uh, my father was a bartender and my mother was uh, a cocktail waitress and also sang on Saturday nights over the radio. And they had a band, full band at this place where they worked. And I would go there and they'd put me in a booth and I'd sleep until the night was over. Then they got me a nanny. And uh, so one night I was talking to my daddy on the phone, you know, in the evening it was time to go to bed. And I hung up and I wouldn't go to bed. And uh, she kept saying, you have to go to bed. And I kept saying, no. And so she called my father back and he was very upset with me and said, you have to go to bed. So I hung up the phone. <clears throat> and I turned to her and I said, you're fired. Uh, how, how does a five-year-old get that? You know what I mean? Where had I heard that? Why would I even say that? I mean, Trump wasn't even around. I mean, you know? <clears throat> and so uh, the next morning, uh, they wake me up. And I can hear my mother screaming, spanker, spanker, spanker. And I hear my father say, oh, shut up, shut up. And then I look up and that lady, a very tall lady, was dressed and had her coat on and a hat and her suitcase. <laughs> I guess she took me seriously. <clears throat> anyway, that's, uh, that kind of is how I've been all my life. So my parents uh, divorced and I went to live with my grandparents. And I loved living with my grandparents. I knew when dinner was gonna be, uh, my clothes were clean. I had clean sheets. Um, I had discipline, which I, <clears throat> I needed, because uh, I had been running wild for a long time, uh, which you do when you're in an alcoholic family, because they don't pay attention to what you're doing. And so uh, I, I loved it. And uh, about no I was nine, and my mother had remarried. She lived in California. And my father had remarried, and my grandfather was afraid that I was going, he was, that my father was going to take me back. And so he sent me to live with my mother. And she had married this Italian man. And uh, he looked like, I don't know if there are any people my age here, but he looked like John Hodiak, a really old-time actor, very handsome, very handsome. And, uh, but they didn't have room for me. And so <laughs> I get back, and, and my mother has blonde hair. She is a brunette. And so I get off the plane. I, I don't even recognize her, you know. And, and now I'm in Los Angeles, and it's, it's all very big, you know. And, uh, 
in my hometown, we didn't even have ethnic food. I mean, we had pork chops and fried chicken. I'd have fried chicken 14 days in a row when I'd go visit my relatives, you know what I mean? And now they're feeding me something that's called spaghetti and zucchini, and it's like horrible. And, uh, and now they put me in a little home also uh, uh, with uh, these three other little girls. And I was to stay there till they could get a bigger house and take me back. And, and uh, it was just a strange, it was so strange. And I, I sort of developed, of course, this idea that I would need to be taking care of myself. That there wasn't going to be really anybody to take care of me. And so we were in this little home and they would take us over to the the club where you could exercise. And so I decided that I needed to build up muscles and uh, to, to be able to take care of myself. And so I, I really was rigorous about it. As you can see, I've continued that over the years. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, I'm at the gym every day, early in the morning, uh, <laughs> dropping Sonia off. But. Uh, <laughs> For those of you that don't know, Sonia is my partner of uh, 32 years. Sonia, would you stand up? Thanks. Uh, funny story about that. I was sharing it with uh, Terry, or, Terry earlier. Um, I, was been, I had been asked to speak in West Portland. It's a big meeting, about 500 people, okay? And so I was trying to get spiritual, and so... <laughs> I was listening to some CDs, and it seemed like on every CD, that person would say, I would like for you to meet my lovely wife, or I would like for you to meet my handsome husband. You know, and I thought to myself, you know, I have never introduced Sonia. I should do that. And, uh, but I forgot to tell her uh, <laughs> that I was going to do that, and I'll never forget it. It's such a great idea. All my great ideas lead to disaster. And so I said to her, I said, just what I said, I said, I'd like to introduce my partner of, of so many years. I said, Sonia, please stand up. And she wouldn't. <laughs> I said, if you don't stand up, I'm not going on any further. <laughs> Which the chairperson is now just like going, what? Oh my God. <laughs> They're going to fight right here. They have this fight right here. But she finally stood up and she got a standing ovation. I'd like to tell you that today. Yeah. Interesting. See, I used to think that a long-term uh, relationship was uh, a one-night stand. <laughs> so 32 years, I have to tell you, I'm impressed. Uh, so, uh, Sonia, can you tell me where I was at? You weren't listening, were you? <laughs> Okay, so I'm at the little home, and uh, they've got a, a, a little boy, they've got a teenage son there, and uh, he was kind of a weird little creepy character, and he'd have us all sit on the front lawn and make us take our tops off, and I mean, we didn't even have boobs, you know what I mean? It was like, what's the point? But, uh, but what he was, he was a really creepy little kid, and he would come in and and mess with the little girls, and I, did, I found that out. So um, I plotted against him, of course, and I said, okay, everybody put your shoes in the bed with you, and when he comes in, 
we're all going to throw our shoes at him and yell. And so, of course, he came in, you know, and they did that. And they were all screaming and yelling. And the mother came in, and we, we told her what had happened. And, and he was gone the next day. But bless their hearts. I mean, they were little babies. We were babies. You know, I think I was the oldest one there. They were just five or six, and that had been going on. And so uh, that is another uh, trait that I have had for, for many years is leading the riot, you know. <laughs> Give me a placard. I want a placard, you know. Uh, I had been in Al-Anon, and uh, my Al-Anon sponsor and Al-Anon uh, person said to me, uh, you know, Julie, I can't tell the difference between a real or a made-up crisis until you get a handle on your drinking. I was furious. How could you say that, you know? Uh, I wasn't even drinking wine anymore at the meetings. I mean, how could you say that? And uh, so I had to resume it for two years. But anyway, so I said, well, I'll show her. I'm going to go to an AA meeting. I was kind of curious anyway, because we met next to an AA meeting, and they were like laughing and pounding on the table, and you know how we are, and just carrying on, you know. And I thought, what could be so funny? They quit drinking. That's not funny, you know. And so uh, I, I went, and I was curious. And so I go to my first meeting, and it's a mixed meeting. And some guy calls a, a, a woman abroad. Well, I am offended. Uh, I became a feminist on, on the spot, right there. I had no idea what that meant, but I was one. And, uh, and they were going to regret they did that. Now, I had called women many worse things than that, you know, but uh, we don't see it that way, you know what I mean? It's like that was inappropriate for them to do that. And so uh, that was my first meeting. And, uh, and I didn't trust, I mean... They want you to come in and tell, you, tell them everything about yourself, everything you've done, and look at these losers. They've come, they're here because they can't handle life. And I'm going to tell them that? No, I don't think so. Uh-uh. I don't trust them. So I told them my name was Dorothy. <laughs> and, uh, and I have my Dorothy shoes on tonight, my red shoes. And, uh, and so we'd sign a list that went around. I'd sign Dorothy. And uh, then they'd call on Dorothy, and we'd all look around, including myself. <laughs> Had a bit of a wet brain, I did. And uh, forgot I'd signed Dorothy. And uh, yes, and at, at 60 days, you know, I really, to tell you the truth, I didn't think I was an alcoholic. I thought I was crazy, you know, but I didn't want to admit that because then I thought they'd put me away in one of those wacka wacka places that Sonia talks about, you know. And so uh, I, I, I couldn't admit to that. But I, 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 so I called myself Dorothy for, for a number of days. I think I had 60 days. And uh, Dorothy went to Los Angeles for Thanksgiving. And... Uh, I took, oh, we were drinking Calistoga at that time. It was very popular. And I took a case of it, and I took all my literature, which I hadn't read, and I took my big book, which I hadn't read, and, uh, but I took it down there. They thought I was selling literature for Alcoholics Anonymous, so. Uh, but I had a bad temper, and so my friends didn't really say too much to me about all of that because they were afraid I might just get mad and start beating them up with the big book or something. But, uh, 
So I did all, I went down there and I did that and I, met, and I went and saw friends and, uh, and then this friend of mine says, hey, let's go down to this club. So-and-so is singing. I said, oh, well, that'd be great. That'd be great. So we went to the club and there was four of us and I ditched them and I ordered four drinks, but for, for me. And uh, I don't know where they went, but at last call, I ordered four more drinks for me, and, uh, but you know what, I, I, I didn't get drunk. I didn't get drunk that night. Um, I saw everything, everything that I did. And I left there with my friend, I dropped her off, and I had to go from there, Long Beach to the Valley, and down in Los Angeles, and it's quite a drive. But what I recognized on the way back to my mother's was that, uh, I, I had a problem, you know. It wasn't my boss. It wasn't my current partner. Um, it wasn't my childhood. I said, I, I, I really am an alcoholic. And it was just like, what? And I got home and I got to my mother's and it was probably about three or four in the morning. And the, th the thing I did was I picked up the big book. Now I guess what had occurred in those 60 days, and I hope that happens for newcomers in here, is that something had slipped in. Something had seeped in here and I got the big book out and I knew there was an answer in there. Well, there is. It says there is a solution, but that's not what I'm talking about. I, uh, and so I got home and I just opened the book and just started reading because I knew that somehow or another this was my salvation. And uh, the next day was Thanksgiving and I, I did not, I, we went to friends and I didn't drink. And I, I came back, Julie came back and, and left Dorothy down in Los Angeles. <laughs> And uh, it's funny, people really knew that I wasn't Dorothy somehow. <laughs> and they knew I was a newcomer. Anybody experienced that, you know? You go to your, your first meeting and they went, how the heck did they know, you know? Well, when I went to the meeting, I'd blow out my hair, you know, I'd dress really nice, you know. But there was something about the red erythema and the palms of my hands, you know? And somehow that shaking, they didn't give me a large cup of coffee, a very small cup of coffee. And just, they, they, of course they knew. It's like we know, you know. And uh, they were very kind to me. They didn't give me a, a bad time about calling myself Dorothy. They, they just welcomed me. And uh, that's where the journey begins. Um, I have done probably everything possibly wrong in this program that you could do. The only thing I have never done is take that first drink. Everything else can work, be worked out and has been worked out for me as long as I haven't taken that first drink. Now, I spent a number of years, uh, I've had a lot of different vocations. And I see that about alcoholics, don't you? you know, we have to have a lot of different vocations just to be able to support our drinking. And so I, at one point, I had my own dog grooming shop down in West Hollywood. Uh, I played in a women's band for a number of years. I uh, also played in a duet. I did music. I absolutely loved music. And I worked for TRW, which was Space and Defense. 
now is where you should get scared, as uh, I built some of the stuff that's flying around up there. And, uh, but my boss was terrific, you know, I drank with him, you know, and he came to me one day and he said, you know, Julie, do you think you could come in on Monday and Friday? Uh, the other women are really getting upset that you have a three-day work week. <laughs> I said, oh, I guess so, you know. Um, so I've had a lot of different things that I have, I have done in my life. Um, but the most uh, probably proudest thing I've ever done is the things I've done in recovery. So I come in and I, I'm, I'm, I'm with this group. Uh, I'm in Santa Rosa, California, which is where I got sober. And I belong to a group of women and we, uh, we, were, we decided to get together and form a reader's theater group on recovery. And so we got together, there was about eight of us, but there were about 20 women that submitted stories that we would read. It was our own stories. So it was called Brown Bag Reader's Theater. And it helped a lot of women. And they went to the university. I, I did it for the first year, and then I dropped out. But they went on to help so many women. And I don't know if there's anybody in here that's ever seen them, but they were really fabulous. So I did that in my early recovery. Um, I did a lot of meetings. I did a lot of sponsoring. I loved to sponsor. Oh, gosh, it was so much fun. Uh, I, had a, I have a gal that I sponsored that called me some years, a couple of years ago. She had 37 years. And she called me. <laughs> And she said, uh, I just, it was my birthday, and I was just thinking about you and thinking about all the things that we had done and, and the things that you said and showed me when I was first sober. And she says, do you remember when um, you had me come over and watch TV with you? You said, I want you to come and watch some soap operas with me so you can identify your character defects. <laughs> So, newcomers, if you think people are experimenting on you, they are. They are. They definitely are. She was great. She was great. Best thing is, is has been able to, to work with, with women. I went back to school. Uh, I know when uh, Beverly was talking about that she never felt like she was smart. I never felt like I was smart either. And... Uh, I did the same thing she did, by the way. I didn't think I was ever wanted or pretty or valued. And my Al-Anon sponsor had me get out pictures so that I could see that I was a beautiful, wonderful little baby girl, you know? So I, I really identify with Beverly and appreciated her story. So I went back to school. Uh, basically to just kind of prove that I wasn't stupid. And, uh, and gosh, there were all these new young people, and I'm thinking, oh my God, I'll never be able to keep up with this. You know, but uh, they were doing what I did when I was their age. <laughs> you know what I mean? They were drinking and partying, and so I finally realized that they really weren't my competition. Uh, <laughs> and I was on the dean's list for a number of years, and. Uh, I decided, because, I, because at that point in my sobriety, I was looking for what God brought in. I started that. I started looking for what God was bringing in. 
So we brought in all these nurses, and I thought, well, that might be interesting. So I looked into that, and so I applied to the nursing school, and I got in, and I graduated, I think I was 45. And I just, it was the best thing in the world I ever did. Nursing school was horrible, but, uh, but afterwards, it was a, it was like, gosh, look at this. This is a wonderful career. And, and I just had so much fun with it, and I loved, I just said, it's just, where's Bev? I love taking care of people, <laughs> which is why I was in Al-Anon. Uh, love taking care of people. And so I went back to school, and I got my two-year degree, and uh, I was looking for a job, and there wasn't anything in acute care where I lived in Santa Rosa, but a friend of mine said she had gotten a job in Chico, California. So I went over and I applied, and uh, before I went for the interview, I thought, well, I'm gonna check out AA. I better check out AA. So I went down to this club, it's called Moms. <laughs> I loved it. I walked in, they were having some feud, and some, I mean, there was some controversy going on. Now we're pounding on the table and yelling and carrying on. I thought, oh yeah, this is good. I can do this. This is my kind of people. And, uh, and so I checked them out and I knew that I could do AA there and I got that job. But it was interesting because uh, it was in 1985 and I called, I called the uh, intergroup line. And I said, are there any women's meetings? And they said, no, uh-uh, we don't have those kinds of meetings. And I said, really? They said, well, are there any gay and lesbian meetings? Oh, no. <laughs> we definitely don't have those kind of meetings. <laughs> and I said, you will if I move here and hung up on her. <laughs> <laughs> And definitely, I, st I didn't start the women's meeting, I supported it, but I did start a gay and lesbian meeting. And in our first year anniversary, there were 125 people that attended it, and they were not all gay. It was an open thing, it was very well supported. And the delegate from Sacramento, Will, came up and spoke for us, and uh, it was a wonderful event. And Brown Bag came over and did one night's event, which they hadn't done in years, and it was, it was very special. As you, many of you here know how special it is to be reunited with the people that you got sober with, to be reunited with that feeling of when you joined the group and when you actually became a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. So I went on and I went on and I became a trauma ICU nurse and I absolutely loved it. And uh, at the same time, I went back and got my bachelor's in nursing also. And so I, I was working at Inlow Hospital and I saw this strange woman walk by. Her shoulders were like up in her ears and... She had these very drab clothes on, very dark, 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 you know. Um, that was Sonia. And, uh, <laughs> but when I saw her, you know what I thought? I thought, oh, I'll be seeing her at a meeting. <laughs> and, and guess what? One night, this gal brings her in. She'll tell your, her story to you, but she brings her in. And I went, oh boy, yeah, 
mm -hmm, definitely. And uh, she, she had this very weird hairdo. I just love telling this story, Sonia. I hope you don't mind. But it was uh, <laughs> very short on this side and really curly on this side. You know what I mean? It was scary is what it was, you know. And uh, that was the beginning of, of Sonia's sobriety. So I got to be a part of that. How do you like being a part of somebody's first beginning and seeing them when they have years later? That's just extraordinary, isn't it? What if you don't, it's not a better feeling than to have that happen to you. Um, so I, I, I was injured uh, in transporting. This guy had been riding the wrong way on I-5 on his motorcycle with his wife behind him, and he hit a, a big wheel, big rig. And uh, she was killed, and they, they brought him in. He was so big, his, his head and feet were hanging off the gurneys. He was just enormous, and so, uh, and he was in a, a drug-induced coma, his own drug-induced coma, <laughs> yes, that he had done. And so uh, we were taking him to OR, and he came out of it and rolled over onto my legs and uh, injured my knees, and they told me I'd never nurse again. And, uh, you know, I, I had enough sobriety that I didn't just panic or make a big drama out of it. I thought, ah, I just don't think God brought me this far to drop me on my head. I just don't believe that. And so uh, after a lot of treatment and stuff, I, I, uh, I submitted a proposal to Human Resources that they have an EAP program for all of their nurses, all of their personnel that might be alcohol or drug dependent. So I started, uh, and they said, oh, well, uh, that's very nice. We don't have that problem here. <laughs> uh, I did laugh. I did laugh. And, and then we spent an hour talking about her son who had HIV and was an alcoholic, and she didn't know what to do, so I left my big book with her. Um, anyway, so the following week, and this is how God works in my life, the following week I get a call, and they said, we need for you to come in. The helicopter pilot is doing cocaine while on a flight to rescue people and using the credit card to buy booze for everybody afterwards. I said, I'll be right there. <laughs> So I put my cape on and, uh, <laughs> and headed out the door. I got saved lives. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> I got that guy into treatment, and uh, then I wrote out a contract for him. And uh, when he got out, he, he couldn't do it, and he, he didn't come back. He left. So no telling what happened with him. <clears throat> The California uh, hired me um, to be one of the nurses that led their groups, and I got to lead groups for doctors, nurses, um, pharmacists. Later on, I got Sonia to lead the group for pharmacists and doctors, and uh, I got to do the contracts for any of our employees. Um, that were caught with drugs, so we no longer just transferred them to another hospital, so they had the problem. We now took care of it in-house. 
they had a choice. They either did this program that I had developed or I called the police. And so usually they were pretty willing to do the program. <laughs> and then I would meet with them once a week. I met with their unit. I explained why they couldn't hang any kind of morphine, that they couldn't do that, and that instead they would do some other chore for that particular nurse. And uh, I met with their supervisor, and I would meet with them one-on-one. -on -one. And then, of course, I went to many meetings. I always went to meetings. And uh, they were to go to five meetings a week. One of them included the support group. And if I went to a meeting and I saw that they were sitting in the back of the room, not at the table, uh, at our next one-to-one, -one, we had a little talk about that. And uh, I told them, you know, you're not going to get it unless you get up close and encounter with these people and find out what it's all about. So you have to sit at the table. Now, you know, I probably couldn't get away with that today, but it was fabulous then. <laughs> I could really make them do a lot of things that I couldn't make them do today, you know. And uh, I don't know uh, how successful that program was, but I do know this, the seed was planted. And that's about all we can do. We can't do anything else, really. <clears throat> I could be a supportive person, but really and truly, unless the person wants recovery, right, it's not going to happen. So, but I had a lot of, uh, uh, I had a lot of people that I talked to about this. That program went on for a long time, and uh, I enjoyed doing that. Then another opportunity came up, and what it was in home infusion. And so I was one of the first nurses inserting PICC lines in the West Coast, and I set up programs in different hospitals and taught nurses how to insert PICC lines. That's a long arm catheter that goes up into here, and it enables you to give them long-term solutions that normally would burn up a small IV. So I got to be a part of that, and that was really exciting. Sonia and I wrote a book. We had our own business. We wrote a book about a manual about how to do this because there were no standards. And so we got to establish standards for home infusion. It sold multiple books in all of the states and three countries. And uh, we had a fabulous time. We had so much fun. And we relied on God all the way. You know, I remember we were flying back to Miami to sell this manual. And on the way there, Sonia says, what if we don't sell anything? Fine time to say that, right? <laughs> I said, we are in the plane, and we're on our way. And I said, well, if we, don't, if we don't sell anything, we'll have a great vacation, huh? It'll be fun. And my goodness, by the end of the day, the people were running up and getting orders, and it was it just extraordinary. That, you know, what, how does that happen? I, I am a drunk in downtown Los Angeles. You know, I get arrested for drunk walking. <laughs> you know, for, I get arrested for just them looking at me, and I, you know, they could tell. And I got stopped multiple times. I mean, I went to jail. Um, I wrote bad checks. And uh, I went to Civil Brand Prison. And uh, I love to tell that story because my sponsor also went to Civil Brand. <laughs> now, I usually get a standing ovation for that. What's going on? <laughs> How many of you have a, a sponsor that's been to the same prison? <laughs> Okay, the one over here, that's great. 
Oh, and another back there. Anyway, it was... Uh, uh, a life like that, where I stole, I, I, I stole from my roommate, I stole her paycheck and, and, and told her somebody else did it. And, you know, years later, I was able to go and make amends to her and give her that money back. I had to do that. Um, you know, we don't like to do that. Our, uh, my ego was such that I, didn't, I have to tell her. And uh, she was great. I'm not sure she quite understood what I had to do, but I did. And that was the point, is that I understood that this was important for me to do for my sobriety, was to clean that wreckage up of the past. And I've had a lot of things. I, I, um, after a first year, I went down to Los Angeles to TRW where I worked, and I, I got, they let me in on a pass, and I got to talk to some people that I'd worked with, and uh, this one man said, well, I don't understand what you're doing, but I'm so glad you're doing it because he said, when you left here, you were not smiling and you, were, you, you terrified us. We were afraid of you. And uh, he said, you never smiled. He said, now you smile. And I, I left there and I uh, spent the whole day looking in the mirror. <laughs> I'm not an egomaniac. But I was see if I smiled and how many you know, I smiled, you know. And uh, is that those are the little things. I, there's some great things that people have done in this program. Absolutely fabulous. Um, I'm a run of the mill, okay? And uh, God has given me opportunities that I shouldn't have had. And I've done my best with them. I've tried my best to become a better person. Um, I know today. I know today when I owe you an apology, and I take care of that right away. It's not something that, uh, how am I doing soon? Doing okay? All right, I know you're tired, you guys, so. <clears throat> so then, uh, after uh, a number of years, we moved up to Oregon, and, uh, well, my mother actually, my mother came to live with us. She had had a stroke, and so, uh, I felt my responsibility. I had 13 years sober. Um, she, she had no place to go. She was coming to stay with me. And so I brought her home with me. And now, I don't know if you know anything about stroke people, but uh, they can be cantankerous. <laughs> and uh, my mother uh, told the nurse one day, she said, they make me wear ugly shoes. <laughs> And they were ugly, but she had to wear them because she couldn't walk if she didn't have them on, you know? And she was used to high heels and looking good, you know? And uh, then she told them that we were taking her money. It was just that kind of thing. And then one day she told them, you don't really have to come back. I can walk all around the backyard. I just do great. So as I'm coming in, my friend Nancy, the nurse, was leaving. And she said, well, I'm closing the case. I said, what? She said, oh, yeah, your mom said she can walk all over. And I said, she cannot walk down the hallway. You know, and uh, so Nancy came back. But it, and it was difficult. Uh, Sonia, Sonia left. My mother was always, my mother loved me but didn't like me. And I've known that all my life. And I didn't know really what to do with it until I came here. 
And yet, and yet, I loved her. She got uh, really sick and had to go in the ICU. And she was on the ventilator, I think 10 weeks. It was a very long time. And she decided to come off the ventilator. And uh, she had me take all pictures and anything personal home. Um, hey, I haven't thought about this in a while. I think it's Beverly's fault. <laughs> but, uh, and she was able to communicate in writing what her wishes were, which was to come off the ventilator, even though they explained to her that she could die. So they took her off the ventilator, and I sat with her all day. And I'm thinking, oh, she's going to be okay. And about three in the afternoon, all of her vital signs crashed. And uh, I picked her up, and I said, I love you, Mom. And they all went back up, <laughs> just for an instant. Just for an instant, my mother knew she was loved. They say the alcoholic can feel love, and they can't love. And my mother was one of those. And, uh, but now I, know, I knew that she could hear me, and she knew I loved her. I worked in trauma ICU. I had many of patients that were on ventilators, and I always wondered if they could hear. And I always treated them as if they could. And now I know from my mother's experience that, indeed, they can hear what you're saying. So if you have a family member that's ever in that position, just know that they can hear you. Um, so we moved to Oregon. I, I had a terrible time with my mother's death. You see, my, my grandfather told me at nine years old that I was to take care of my mother. And I spent my life taking care of my mother. And now she's gone. And I didn't know what to do. I felt like I was walking through jello. I, I couldn't, I could not, I just, there was nothing there. I, I just couldn't feel anything. And, uh, and, and decided that I would kill myself. And I share this because maybe some people out there have that same experience, but I had the gun ready and uh, there was a knock on the door and it was my friend Joyce from Al-Anon and her daughter. And uh, another little godshot, huh? And they came in and <clears throat> I told them what I was about to do and I took the gun and, and uh, I didn't uh, attempt that any, at any other point. But that was how um, my need to take care of my mother had been so strong that I had no idea what to do with that um, after she was gone. And here I had waited all my life for her to die. You know, I thought any time now from her drinking, she, she will die. And she didn't until that day. So anyway, so I had a hard time. We moved to, to Oregon, and uh, it was the best thing that we could ever have done. And who knew? God knew. I didn't know. Sonia didn't know. And uh, we got jobs. We did well. We didn't, we didn't know a soul. We didn't know anybody. Sonia went up ahead of me, and uh, I took care of our house and stuff. And, 
But you know, my life today is we went up, we didn't know anyone. And then these ladies over here, I, they don't know how much I love them. They're so beautiful, such good friends. And uh, when Sonia and I were sick in the hospital a couple of years ago, or a year ago, January 15th, Sonia and I had heart surgery on the same day. That's how close we are. Uh, actually, she was going in for surgery, and then when the doctor saw me, he says, you, you have to go in too. And uh, so we had surgery the same day, and so uh, now we're out, and we're trying to get ready to go home, and, and they're keeping me because I have heart failure, and, and, uh, but Sonia's up and around, sort of, and we're going, gosh, who, who are we going to, who's going to help us? Who do we have to help us? And they did a food train thing. Can you believe it? A food train. I never heard of that. And so once a day, somebody would come at like five, drop off food, talk for a half an hour, and leave. Perfect. It was perfect. <laughs> I'm not sure about the food, but that was perfect. That was just great. And so they came, they came through for us, and, and we'll always be grateful and thankful for their friendship and for doing that for us. So we've had a rough two years. That's what's happened. We've had a rough two years. I've had heart failure. I was in the hospital to be cardioverted, and uh, my heart stopped. And uh, it was the strangest thing, because all of a sudden, the, the curtains were going like this, and then it was all black. But I could hear Sonia, and she was yelling, and she was saying, you get back here, and you get back here right now. <laughs> And the gal put some atropine in my line and that gave me enough time to get me down to get a pacemaker. So I had a pacemaker and I did well for a while. Uh, Sonia, oh gosh, and the surgery, they couldn't fix Sonia. Now that was the whole idea. They were to fix Sonia. I mean, she cooks. <laughs> she cooks and she lets the dog out. I mean, hey, you were to fix her. I was very upset. Actually, I really was upset, and uh, they were taking me down for my surgery, and I saw her, and she was back early, and I jumped off the gurney and went to her room, and I said, What's, what happened? She said, they couldn't fix me. Oh, my God, I threw myself on her, and you know her chest was hurting, and I threw, my, threw myself on her and started crying and crying and crying, and they kept saying, they are waiting for you in the OR. You need to get on the gurney. And I go, oh, I will in a second. They didn't fix her. You know, and they took me down and they fixed me. So, <laughs> you know, that's the most important thing. <laughs> I am the center of the universe right there. So where are we at today? Well, they put a new pacemaker in me. It's a, a, a creative thing. They called and said, you know, Julie, because you're so active, because you do so many things, and whatever, that we're, we're going to give you a different pacemaker. I said, really? Can you wait till I get back from Maui? We've been gone six weeks. And uh, he said, yeah, yeah, that's okay. And I uh, came back and they put that in and I'm still working on it. I'm still kind of weak and I have a hard time walking, but, uh, but you know, Sonia and I always look for I don't want to use the silver lining, but we always look for 
the good positive things that's going to happen. There's something good going to happen out of this. And so uh, she's going to physical therapy now for shoulder surgery. And her PT person said to, to me, said, I think I can get you into cardiac rehab, and then we'll get you into PT, and then we'll get you into water therapy. I'm thinking this is an awful lot, but... And then, we, you know what? You're going to walk again. You're going to walk again. And you know, I miss that so much. It's so hard to not be able to walk. It's not hard for me to ask for help. I can ask for help. But I want, to, I want that. So um, that's supposed to happen soon. And Sony's going to be healed up. We travel in our fifth wheel. We're trying to be a program of attraction to these people in Heartland's uh, fifth wheel club. <laughs> that doesn't seem to be working, but <laughs> they like their wine. Um, we do all sorts of things. We have so much fun. We have so much fun. But we have always been involved in service. There's never been a moment that we haven't been involved in service. I can't get to as many meetings, but I talk to alcoholics on the phone. You know, I make calls. Hi, how are you doing? That sort of thing. And uh, I miss the days where I could do more, but I cherish the days for what I can do now. I'm going to read you something. My grandmother, uh, her checks were the ones that I wrote that were bad. And uh, she didn't quite forgive me for that. And so I, I one time drove over there, and I think I had six or seven years, and I drove over there and, uh, to Springfield, Missouri, and uh, she wouldn't see me. Oh, God, I cried and cried, and I left. And so then I, I, told, I was told by my sponsor, write her a card. Every card you send, just say, I love you, I hope you're well. Don't write anything else. And send a card for her birthday, for every event that you can. And so I did. And so we went back there one time, my mother and I, and she agreed to see me. And then she wanted to see me, to come and stay with her. So then they told me she was dying, so I went back twice a year to see her. She got really sick of me. But I went back twice a year to see her. And one year I was speaking down in Eureka Springs, and she wanted to hear my uh, tape. She really didn't get it. She really didn't understand it. And uh, we had kind of a falling out. But she gave me this thing. She had an inkling uh, about me. And so she gave this to me early on. I was just going to read it to you, and then I'll end. And it says, uh, Dear Lord, so far today I've done all right. I haven't gossiped, haven't lost my temper, haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. I'm really glad about that. But in a few minutes, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm going to need a lot more help. Thank you so much for letting me share.